Hello, everybody. Well, first, I want to thank everyone for their amazing questions. So thoughtful and interesting. And I wish we could all be sitting down together and having conversation. But um, I was really impressed with with the care that you took and all the questions that you asked. I won't be able to answer all of them. Um, but I think maybe the way that I'm going to handle that is the questions that I don't answer, I'm going to go back over the next day or two and um, write out some answers. Otherwise, this podcast or this recording would just be way too long. I think it would be hours and hours long. So I'll chip away at some of the other ones. And then some of my answers to some of the other ones might be suggesting that um, you ask them again next month. Um, I'm going to do themes, I think. So maybe we could do like farming one month. And then that way, people that aren't all that interested in it could just skip the recording altogether instead of sort of fitting everything into one. And there might be topics that some of you aren't as interested in. Um, so I think that's what we'll do for next month. So the questions that I got today, um, I wanted to read them all out in their entirety because they're so nicely written and it's really, um, I really liked reading all of them, but, um, that would probably add another hour on things as well. So I'm going to sort of trim them up. And sometimes for some of you that asked multiple questions, I did, um, I might just take a couple, one or two of your questions and answer them. And um, like I said, I'll, I'll try to go back and put notes. So if you check back um, in the next couple days, I'll be, I'll be answering some of them um, just in the comment section from the initial, the, uh, sorry, initial submission from the essay that I had put up for the Q and A's. So, um, with that, we will start off with um, Kate's question. And Kate asked, um, how did you handle media, TV, movies, internet, social media exposure and access with each of your children? Um, I think uh, with us, there wasn't all that much of it, to be really frank. Uh, when our kids were younger, I think it's just been um, the whole onslaught of this smartphones and social media and everything has been, um, quite rabid. And, um, our, I guess social media sort of came around when our youngest daughter was sort of in junior high-ish. Um, that's when we started hearing about it. But, um, none of our kids were allowed on social media. Um, they, we never had Wi-Fi in our house. So getting on the phone and scrolling through or going on social media wasn't an option. And then the data, um, on our youngest daughter's phone. So our other two daughters actually just had flip phones and there was no data. It was just for emergency phone calls or texts. Um, but that wasn't unusual. I think that it was pretty odd for someone to have anything more than that at that time. Um, but, um, with our youngest daughter, she had, uh, like I said, we didn't have Wi-Fi, and then her data, I think she had a hundred megabytes a month. So it was like, if it was a real pinch and you had to turn it on and find something on a map, maybe, 
Um, and then as far as like TVs and movies, we never had any sort of cable hookups or anything ever. Um, so we used to go to the library actually and rent movies from the library, or you could even rent TV series from the library as well. Um, and so that really allowed us to control what was coming into the house and what we were watching. And, um, we watched pretty, um, like old shows, usually <laughs> little house on the prairie, um, stuff like that. But, um, yeah, there just wasn't any, uh, there wasn't any access to anything other than that. Um, and I, I think really that at the heart of what you're asking too here as you sort of, the question goes on is how, you know, deprived little creature who may go behind your back. I think, um, no matter what we're talking about with parenting, whether it's like the clothes that we buy or don't buy because, you know, that our kids want because everyone has it or the latest toy or, um, the food or, uh, you know, the social gathering or whatever it is. I don't think the idea that, um, if you don't give in to your kid, they're being deprived is a very, um, healthy perspective as a parent, because, um, you know, we, I, I mean, I understand it fully, uh, don't get me wrong, but I, I think it's something that we're, we have to overcome as parents. Um, they, you know, we really have to be their leaders and we have to set an example and, um, however that looks, you know, whatever, whatever you think the limits are, um, that are reasonable, obviously they could be very different than mine. That's fine. But don't feel like you're depriving your kid. They're, they're going to find, um, you know, they may, they may not like it. They may get angry with you and that's okay because you know you're their leader you're you're there to guide them you're not there to be their best friend and obviously you love your children but you know part of that love is being able to withstand them not being so happy with you <laughs> a lot of the time um so i'd say stick to your guns whatever the whatever it is that you end up deciding um daniela asked, what would you be doing with your money now that we know banks can refrain us from receiving our own money? Yeah, that's scary. Uh, especially, um, being that, um, our name was on a list that got hacked and released. Um, and so we were really living in concern that our bank account would actually be frozen too. Um, so yeah, that we've really been thinking about that, talking to a lot of smart people and just asking other people that we know, know what's going on and what their plans are around their money. And honestly, we haven't found any really great answer. I think everybody feels the same way as far as just kind of <laughs> shrugging and not being sure, you know, I think, um, I've heard a lot from people that they're diversifying where their money's going. I think that's a good idea, whether it's into, you know, actual cash or metals or, um, <laughs> cryptocurrencies. Um, 
I know our daughters put their money in hardware wallets, uh, their cryptocurrencies into hardware wallets, and that's where theirs is going. I'm not so sure about that. Um, you know, my grandpa, when he died, he had, I think there was 11 tobacco tins in his backyard buried that had cash rolled up in them. And um, my dad and uncles had to go back there and, and um, dig them all up. But the money was safe. Um, so I don't know. Maybe it's back to that. Um, for us, I think our biggest security comes from having zero debt. So right now we're just kind of putting our heads down and getting the rest of our mortgage paid off. Um, we hope to have that done by the end of well, maybe a year, um, maybe less, depends. Um, so I think that really should be everybody's biggest focus is is not having anything that they could leverage against you. And then I'm open to all sorts of ideas. If people have other thoughts on that, maybe they could find this question in the comments and share what they're doing or... I could even open up a discussion thread if you guys want to do that too. You could just let me know that in the comments. Um, Pamela asked, what advice would you give a mid-50s couple about starting a homestead? Well, Pamela, congratulations. That is wonderful. And the advice I would give would be the same advice I would give to a younger couple. I don't think it matters whatever age you are. Um... I would just say to just start and start with the things that you feel most excited about. Um, uh, the things that, that the land is actually capable of supporting, depending on how much land you have and what its makeup is and all that sort of thing. Um, but I would also say to really, um, you know, when you first when you first start homesteading, it's really exciting and you just go, go, go. And it's always going to be there will always be something there from the time you first get to your place. There's always going to be something, something more that you can do, something that has to be built, something that has to, you know, some new animal you want to get, some new venture that you have to start. Um, there's it, it. It's perpetual farming is just a perpetual um draw and if you don't control um what you keep for yourselves it can suck you dry so i would say have a firm plan not just a general idea oh we're gonna you know we're gonna go out once a week or we're gonna whatever you i think daily you have to have time for yourselves and for each other. I think that's really integral and no one really talks about that, but I think it's one of the most important things to have figured out before you get on the farm and to and to make that sacred above all else. Um, and um, after that, I would just say, start with whatever you wanna start with. It's hard to answer that question, but um, yeah, for sure, just, make sure all the other stuff is just going to come thundering in. So make sure before that starts happening that you do have um, that time set aside or whatever it is that you guys are going to do, that you're going to make a pact, that um, you're going to make sure that you don't get so caught up in everything that you just 
are not present to your to your everyday. Okay. Guy or gee. Maybe you can write and tell me if it's guy or gee. I had a cousin named gee, but that might be a French Canadian thing. So um, let me know. So um, guy asks Tara, what do you do for quiet time? And do you find that you have enough time for it when you need it? Um, I do actually. And I think we're in a point in our lives where we're empty nesters. So we do, it's been nice actually just reconnecting and doing things, the quiet things that we like to do. Um, we do all sorts of things. We play cards, we play board games. I do, um, rug hooking, traditional rug hooking and, I've been playing with embroidery and I took a hand tool woodworking shop that I'm interested in. We read a lot. Uh, we watch old movies sometimes. Um, this is just sort of stuff that we do in the evening once it gets dark, but otherwise we sort of pitter patter around. We used to, um, be members at a independent movie theater. We, um, before we got kicked out for not being vaccinated. Um, and we love live theater. Um, but for quiet time around the house, it's usually, uh, we play crib a lot. And, um, oftentimes we'll just like right now, um, we had the fire going and I just started a new book yesterday that I'm really liking. And sometimes my husband will just put his head on my lap and I read to him. He likes it when I read to him. Um, so yeah, pretty simple stuff. Um, Esther asked, would you ever be willing to post some general recipes? Roulette, marrow, butter, mayo with fat. Um, yes, I could do that, Esther. My hesitation always with recipes is I don't write things down and... I really don't like it when I make a recipe and it doesn't turn out. So I just, um, it's not that I'm trying to keep any sort of secret. It's just that I would hate for people to follow something that I give them and then they waste ingredients because it doesn't turn out. Um, but you know, there's a few things that are pretty basic and maybe I can write it down without the exact measurements and just give some ideas but yeah I would I, I'll do that um every now and then uh Rachel asks, do you water your cows and pigs from your well yes we do and uh, do you do weight training all year long even when farm chores are at their peak yes we do and um would you homeschool through high school I I would and I wish I did but our daughter didn't want to um, I think that, I think that comes to the kids. I know a lot of homeschool families where in high school, some of the kids really did want to go to high school and see what it was like. And others were like, nah, I'll skip it. I actually know a family that have two, um, twins and one of the twins wanted to go to school and the other one didn't. So it's just, I think whatever at that age, whatever the kid wants to do is, I think that's pretty fair. Um, Eric asks, if you could go back in time before you had your own farm, what wisdom would you share with your previous self that you gained from your journey? And I guess, um, you know, even the things I really, 
I think for us, and I think this is because it, uh, both my husband and I have this tendency um, of looking forward. And especially when you start um, farming or homesteading, um, like where we live, the house was pretty crappy and the farm needed so much work. Everything needed work. And so it's very easy to get stuck in that cycle of always looking forward and you know when when this gets done things will be right or when we do you know bring these animals here it's going to be right or when this fencing but of course it it never ends like I mentioned earlier and so if your satisfaction and your um your sense of inner peace comes from something that's going to happen in the future, you're just, you're just never at peace in the present. And, um, I just, I would say to, to be able to just, um, you know, find, and, and it's hard, but to be able to work on cultivating that sense of peace and calm inside of us, even though there's always going to be a million and one things to do, even though, you know, nothing is ever finished Um, even though nothing is perfect, things, something's falling apart, something's injured, something, I mean, you just have to humble yourself and surrender to that. And that in of itself is what actually brings peace. Um, it took us a while to learn that one though. So Robin asked um, if I can talk about A2 milk and be sure of it when asking small-scale farmers about it. Um, I did put in in my um, my last couple of essays, I put a link in there to the book Devil in the Milk. Um, if, if you're interested in A2 milk, it's definitely worth reading and, and it did take up a whole book. So um, just generally A2 milk is, um, as I said in that essay, um, just, it's a really different animal. I had problems with raw milk, um, that was just solely grass fed. And, uh, when I learned about A2 milk, this is quite a few years ago, um, and was able to source some A2 milk, it made all the difference for me. And, um, I, that my story is not all that unusual. So, but if you're interested in it, I would definitely get that book because it's fabulous. And, um, how can you be sure of it when asking small farmers, um, well, um, they would have to have their cows tested, uh, to be A2, A2, that's all, nobody knows, you can't know, even though some breeds have higher chances of being A2, A2, you, I've done testing for many friends and some farms around Ontario, and, um, in one herd of all the same breed, you can see really different things. So they'd have to test. Can you legally buy raw milk in Ontario? No, um, Canada does not allow you to buy raw milk anywhere, unlike most of the rest of the world. Um, so you cannot legally buy it. So then, you know, you have to start asking yourself questions about when is civil disobedience a necessity and I decided probably 25 years ago uh, when they start telling me what nourishing foods I can put in my body or what medicines I can put in my body 
And so, you know, I've done some pretty shady raw milk deals in the backs of church parking lots and uh, <laughs> um, other crazy places. So it's, um, it's worth it. I would definitely read up on everything the Weston A. Price writes about um, raw milk and why raw milk is such a different um, animal than pasteurized milk. They have their um, website is the Weston A. Price Foundation. And then there's a sister site called realmilk.com. That one too might be helpful. Okay, Matt asks, any further thought on hosting guests for learning mentoring? Um, Matt, um, we might in the coming months slash years um, do some on-farm learning courses. We've done that in the past. Uh, we had a on-farm a sheep butchering course a few years ago uh, where we butchered a couple sheep on the top of a windy hill. It was really pretty day actually. Um, so that might be something that we would do in the future. We have some local butchers here too that we've kind of um, sussed out and asked if they would be willing to come and teach in, you know, a finer sort of butchering. We, we, um, do uh, you know I'm not a professional butcher I think we do a nice job for us and I'm happy with it but I would I'd probably rather have a butcher do do that part of it um so we'll see we'll see how that sort of comes along we don't um we don't do any sort of long-term mentoring where we can like have someone here or anything we're um, maybe it doesn't seem like it, but we're actually pretty private people and, uh, we like our time, um, just alone. So, uh, yeah, if that does come up, I will be sure to, um, absolutely, uh, share all that information here. Uh, McLean says, any advice for someone wanting to start out and live more aligned with the earth on the land? beginner level homestead, what animals to start with, etc. Thank you. Um, I wrote a really big uh, essay on this a couple years ago, actually, and it was on my other website that I collapsed and moved over to Substack. So I'm going to dig that out because I think I get asked this question quite a bit. So thank you for reminding me that I'm taking my pink highlighter right now and I'm highlighting that. So I remember to, to put that essay up there. So, uh, hopefully I'll have that within a week or two. Christine asked, I would be interested to hear how you decide where to look for answers, how to decide whether to look back for ancestral wisdom, wise traditions or forwards at new age findings, technologies, and research when it comes to things like raising children in a modern world, etc. Um, I pretty much always look backwards, Christine. <laughs> I don't know what that means about me, but um, I feel like I am saturated with um, new age findings and technologies. Um, they're just all over me. And um, the whole world seems to be moving at with great momentum towards those things and so I don't feel like I have to look for anything there it's the the old wisdom and the traditions and the skills and the values that really take a lot of effort and and consistent determination to excavate and find I mean I'm always 
looking for old books and collecting, you know, old, old books. Just this morning, I was actually looking through, I have um, old Harrowsmith magazines from the 1970s, and I was reading through them and my 2006 Weston A. Price journals and all of that information is still true and it's still relevant. And um, I, I really don't spend much time. <laughs> um, just I, I find that the things that are, are being produced now are so, um, I mean, speaking from a broad perspective, often quite tainted with different values than I have. And so a lot of times, even information that I'm receiving, I'm, I end up thinking, well, this maybe works if, you know, this was your value set or this was your idea of success or whatever, but I, I don't share those. So I have to look to a different time. I feel like when those, that sort of ethos was more, um, widely practiced or valued. Um, so yeah, I'm, Maybe that just makes me an old lady now. I don't know. Um, Laura asked, Hi, Tara. I would love to hear about your military service and what time of life looked like for your family and how did my service contribute to the person you are today? Um, oh, did my daughters ever feel drawn to follow in yours and Troy's footsteps? Um, absolutely not. They sure did not. Um <laughs> And um, thank you for that. And um, I was 17 when I joined the military. I had been living on my own by then. I had a bit of a tumultuous teenage hood, uh, teenage years, and I um, was evicted from my house. And so I had been living on my own. And um, I quit school and I joined the military. I needed money and I joined the military. And it was, um, in retrospect, the very best thing that could have happened for me at that time in my life. Um, I, it taught me discipline and structure and those were not things that I was familiar with. I was also not familiar with a level of self-confidence from being able to achieve things that I didn't know I couldn't achieve because I didn't play sports as a kid or um, have any of those sort of growth challenge type um, experiences. So for me, um, I know everybody has a lot of feelings about the military this way or that. I, I guess, um, and you know, what I think of it too has changed a lot, but just speaking from a very personal place, it, um, it probably saved my butt. Um, I was uh, I was a bad kid. Let's just say that, and and um, it made me. It gave me the tools. It gave me. It 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 allowed me to find something in myself that I didn't know existed. So, yeah. Thanks for that question. Uh, Ferry Werner Gomez Baker asks, what's the most valuable thing you wish you had known as a first time mama? See, I didn't want to answer these or like come up with answers for these questions before. I just wanted it to be more instinctual. So it 
didn't I didn't sound like a robot. Um, but then sometimes I think maybe I should have thought about this a little bit. But the most valuable thing I wish I had known as a first time mama, um, probably, probably, I, I, my instinct is to say that I wish I had more confidence, but then in myself, because I was quite young, I was 22. And I think I, you know, thought a lot of people maybe, um, I was insecure, maybe thought people looked down on me a little bit because of my age. Um, but, um, when I look back now, um, you know, our first daughter had, um, uh, a vaccine, um, adverse event after her first series of vaccines. And that sort of ended up starting me on this incredibly long, windy road that I've been on ever since. Um, but even then, um, as a young person and having to, um, you know, I, I've told this story before driving for hours to go find a bookstore that carried books on vaccinations. Cause I didn't know a thing about it. Um, and making that decision and going against what everyone was telling me to do and stuff. So I, you know, I, I kind of, my instinct is say, I wish that I had more confidence in what I was doing. So maybe I was kind of fearful about the decisions I was making, but I must've had some level of confidence. So, um, I think I did. Okay. I, I really enjoyed being a mom right from the beginning. And, um, I had a really incredible mentor. I was living on a military base at that time and I had a really incredible mentor, this woman that was just um, a wonderful mother who was both very loving and and really applied discipline in a, in a healthy and structured way. And I didn't know any of that at all. Um, and so she really helped me. So... <sighs> I don't know. That's maybe not the best answer, but I gave it a go. <laughs> um, and then what are the most important pages for you in your bullet journal? Oh, well, the most important pages in my bullet journal. And if people don't know what, um, what a bullet journal is, it's, um, an agenda that saves your life. That's right. I don't know how people live without a bullet journal. Um, I love my bullet journal. Troy loves his bullet journal. We have been bullet journal devotees for years. And um, it provides the very structure for our lives. So um, probably the two things I'll say. So one of them is I think I mentioned, um, and I'm not sure if you saw it, but I read the book Deep Work, which is a fantastic book. And it really helps, especially for people that don't um, leave the home to work or otherwise self-employed. It really helps you to um, structure your day in a way that helps you to get the things you need to get done, but also that values the things that you value. So you you know, actually um, build your day. And then when you follow the day that you built, it's like 
keeping a promise to yourself. And um, you start building things in based too on what you value and what you want to grow. So like your relationship, for an example, or, um, you know, your health. And so what are the things you need to do in a day to do that? And so you build them into these time blocks. And um, yeah, it's just, mm, it's, uh, I can't recommend that book enough. It's been, for me anyways, it was really helpful for me. Um, And then the second part is that um, Troy and I, once a week have a little tea or coffee or whatever and we sit down with our books and he reads to me everything that he's added to his in the last week and I read to him everything that's been put into mine and then we sync them up together so I guess you could do that probably on a computer and just look at each other's calendars and sync them up but this is way better. You just get to sit down with your books and paper and a pencil and he'll tell me what, you know, a couple shifts that he's picked up and what we're doing then. And then we can say, Hey, on this day, do you want to go do this? And he'll say, of course I do. Cause I love you. And I'll say, okay, I love you too. And then we'll book a whole day and we'll go climb a mountain or something. So those two things, love it. And um, by the way, when we do our weekly meetings, we always get dressed nicely. And we used to go to a coffee station, but or a coffee station, a coffee shop, this little coffee shop that we loved. But then they told us that we can't go into the shop anymore. So then we just did it at our table. But we still got dressed up nice and looked cute and smiled and flirted with each other. That's very important. Okay, Kelly asks, if you didn't need to farm your food to have the quality you do now, what would you be doing with your time? I've seen you mention various creative outlets, writing, hook drugs, designing your home. Would a creative creative pursuit drive you? Oh my lord. My husband and I sometimes say, how do people retire and then just say they're so bored? I honestly think I need multiple lifetimes to get through all the things I want to learn in this one. What would I be doing? Well, I would start a trap line because I'm like all hot and heavy and want to learn the ins and outs of a trap line. I would start studying history more. I'm just fascinated with certain periods of history that I would like to learn more about. I would find myself a geologist and get him to teach me about um, certain geographical rock formations that we have in our area and just sort of the history of it. Um, I would start doing more natural plant dyeing, which I'm definitely doing this summer. I would learn taxidermy, how to build furniture. I would do years-long studies on ravens and beavers. I'd get better at wood carving, have a little pottery shack in the back. I'd write children's books, which I really want to do. I think I'd be okay, Kelly. I think I'd have a couple things to do, for sure. (laughs) Um, Beth asks um, a few questions. So, Beth, I'm just, like I said, I'm going to answer some of these in in the comment section. 
Um, but she asked, isn't it hard on the adrenals to work out in a fasted state? Um, yeah, I've heard that. Um, I guess it, that's one theory. Um, I do it and I've done it for 30 years and I love it. And that's what I'm sticking with. Um, especially considering all the movement you've already done in the morning. So my workout is the first thing I do in the morning, actually. I meditate, so I wake up, I meditate, I have a soleil that I drink, and um, then I meditate, and then I get dressed, and then I go work out, and then I do chores after I work out. And is it harder to gain muscle that way? Uh, I'd say no. I have quite a bit of muscle on my body, I think. Um and um, I have no problem putting on muscle that way. It's just, you know, making sure that afterwards you're eating to refuel yourself with enough protein. Um, and then I'll answer the other ones, Beth, in, uh, in the comments. So Tanya asks, I'm curious what makes you laugh out loud, the belly laugh that shakes up the space around you. What a nice question. That just made me smile. Um, what makes me laugh out loud? My husband, because he's so Mr. Serious, which I think is hilarious. Um, my sister can really make me get going sometimes. Um, when I'm with my sister and my mom, I don't, it's, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is that it has to be something absolutely ridiculous, but yeah. And then my daughters, they can really get me laughing too. It's not like any one thing. It's, I don't know, when I just get goofy. But when I get goofy, if people are serious around me, is I just think that's the funniest thing ever. Anyway, um, oh, I got asked by Gee, Guy, Gee. Um, in case no one else asked, how about a quick update on the caffeine reduction and coffee replacement? Okay. Here it is. I quit coffee. Oh, it's wonderful. I'm so happy. I went with the mud water. I made my own recipe. Um, and it was okay. It was good tasting. But the problem is, and I knew this was going to be a problem, was the cocoa powder in it. I, I can't do cocoa chocolate stuff at all so I just ixnayed that and then um my eldest daughter drinks puer and so I tried some of hers um and yeah so I have a cup of puer in the morning and um it's good it's pretty good I, uh, if I'm working out, I don't have the puer before I work out. I just have it when I have my breakfast later on in the morning. So around 11 ish. Um, but yeah, it's good. Did you quit? Did any of you quit? And if you did, you're awesome. And I want to hear about it. Um, but the thing with me is I get wicked headaches. I years ago did a genetic, um, test and I was a slow metabolizer of caffeine and it's true like if I had one cup of coffee which is all I was having before um by the next day if I didn't have it at the same time I'd start getting blinding headaches so I'm feeling pretty good about being you know pretty free of that 
Um, Kara asked how I train my cute pups to walk in the forest without a leash and not run away. Well, um, it helps if you have one dog that has good recall. And then when you get a puppy, the puppy does the same thing the older dog does. So we had, um, a series of dogs that had good recall. And then our last dog, um, uh, Luna, she died. She was 12 years old. She died a couple years ago. Um, but she was just true blue. She would always come no matter what. And, um, we got a, lo- a little border collie and border collies are, have, should have excellent recall. And he does. And, um, when we got our great Dane Louie, um, he just followed the border collie around everywhere. And, um, whenever I would call them, when I would call the border collie, I would call Louie, I would say his name too, but he'd really just be following the border collie. And when they came to me, I'd always have a little liver treat in my pocket. So yeah, just consistently giving them little treats. And, um, also, uh, you know, they're still dogs. And if something bounds out across and like a coyote, like happened, a few weeks ago and our border collie decided to run after the coyote because he has delusions of grandeur and thought he could take on a coyote. Um, stuff still like happens like that, or they see a porcupine and decide to pick it up with their mouths, you know, always dangers, but that's what worked for us. Um, Kitty asks, allowing men to be men seems so simple and yet we constantly find ways to disrupt that natural process. As a mother training sons, any musings on ways I can promote this? Um, well, I didn't raise boys, but, um, hats off to you because for even thinking about this, I think it's just absolutely imperative that we start having these conversations, um, and uh, I, I would like to say, Kitty, I don't know if you've heard of Warren Farrell. Um, he's written some excellent books. He's been interviewed. <clears throat> he's been on so many podcasts. And he's, um, I can't remember. His book is something like, um, it's, but it's about the dangers of how we're raising boys right now. Um, Warren Farrell. I know he was on Jordan um, Peterson's podcast too, but I had heard him years ago. Um, if you can't, if you can't find the book or maybe you already know of them, I'm not sure, but if you need any more, I can look that up for you, but it should be pretty easy to, uh, find on Amazon or whatever your bookstore is. So Joanne asks if I know a source to find, um, raw dairy in Ontario, or if you have to be lucky enough to know someone, okay, Joanne, no, you don't have to be lucky enough to know someone, um, you, um, so you, so well before we had our farm, um, I always had raw milk for our girls well before we had our farm. And sometimes we would move every year. One time we moved every eight months. One time it was two years. But anyway, the point is we had to source our food again every time we moved from farmers. And, um, the, biggest the easiest way to do that is just through connections because you have to understand like there's 
the risk involved in selling raw milk is so ridiculous. I mean, I'd rather sell you cocaine than raw milk, like for the charges and the fines that are involved and what I could lose. So the people that are doing this are, it's just completely out of their conviction for what's right. And, um, you know, people, I think in, in general, but also people in the farming communities are protective of people that are doing this. So, you know, it's, it's not, I don't think you'll ever be in a situation where you'll just hear a name, hell, you know, of someone selling raw milk. Um, you have to sort of network with people quite a bit and allow them to get to know you a little bit. It's, it's a very different way of, um, doing business and, um, it's actually quite rewarding because you have to build relationship. Um, so people know who you are. It's like the dollar has less value here. You know, who are you? And, um, one of the great, uh, ways of doing that is, you know, as you meet farmers, so you, you know, go to farmers markets or you belong to the Western A Price Foundation local chapter or, you know, a slow food chapter, whatever, whatever. And people get to know you. You buy meat from a farmer, chicken from a farmer, and maybe they don't have dairy cows. But, you know, you tell them a bit about yourself and let them get to know you and that you're not some sort of inspector. And, and you know, just... <clears throat> start building those relationships and letting them know that that's something that you're looking for. And, and it, it, it happens, it happens over time. Um, I know it's maybe a little bit frustrating, but, um, I can tell you that there is raw milk being sold all across Canada and it's not, it's not, not, I mean, it doesn't mean every area there will be, but it just means that, the possibilities are there. You just have to think differently and, and sort of respect that um, people have gone and lost their whole livelihoods over this issue. So um, that's why it's just so darn hard, unfortunately, in this country to find it. Um, okay, Danny asks... I remember previously reading in your post when you butcher ducks and beef that you let them hang for three days. Do you do this with all the animals you butcher? Okay, Danny. Um, no, we hang our beef for three weeks minimum. And the ducks do not have to hang, but we prefer to do that to age the meat a little bit. Um, and do you gut them first or let everything hang? So everything is gutted first except for the fowl. So ducks and geese are the waterfowl, sorry. Ducks and geese are not gutted first. Um, we just hang them as they are with their feathers on and everything. That's a very traditional way. That's, that's how, um, you know, if you look at sort of old... European um, images and stuff you'll see oftentimes like a hearth with um, some pheasants or something hanging there um, and that's what they're doing they're just aging them and it increases the flavor and it makes um, it increases the tenderness it's quite it's quite nice actually but um, <clears throat> all the other animals and of course like with a beef and pigs you're gutting them immediately after um, 
You have previously stated that you've had a lot of success with Guernsey dairy cattle. What breeds of beef cattle and pork have you found to be the most beneficial for our family? Um, I wouldn't say I've had a lot of success with Guernsey at all, actually. I love Guernseys. Um, I, my Bupka had a Guernsey when I was a kid on her farm, and I had quite a soft spot for them. And I'm sure that there are still some good grass-fed genetic Guernseys out there. I've had bad luck with Guernseys, and in fact, I at this time have decided not to raise them anymore. Um, and then as far as beef cattle for breeds, um, oh boy, I've, I honestly don't know that <coughs> breeds are as important as what the actual animal looks like. And I say that because um, we've had um, you know, I'll give as an example, the red poles, which are a heritage breed, um, beef cattle. And, um, I could put two red poles side by side and I bet other than the color of their, um, um, hair that you would have a hard time believing they were the same animal. So it really depends how the animal's been bred and um, you can get one animal from the same breed that looks, um, you know, there could be some inconsistencies in breeding, especially, I think, now, too, uh, with heritage breeds, which is where I would sort of recommend you steer yourself if you're looking to do just grass-fed. Um, you know, check out a few different places because you may find that uh, you know, what one person is, is raising can look quite different than the other. And, um, it, it matters. So we've actually, I prefer crossbreeding to be frank. I like taking a really nice looking cow and finding a nice bull and letting, seeing what comes out of that union, regardless of whether they're the same breed or not. And, um, for us, because we have a small homestead, um, we are breeding for animals that do really well on grass alone. And so um, in conjunction with that, they have to have really nice temperaments. I just have no time for aggressive animals. I don't like working with flighty animals. I don't like skitterish herds or groups of animals at all. So that too is really important for us. Um, and then as far as the pork, uh, we've raised um, Tamworth, Large Black, Berkshire, um, and then a couple crosses. Um, we're actually not going to be raising pork. I don't know if we would again, but that's a story for another day. Um, both with the cost of organic grain right now, and I would not feed non-organic grain. Um, and then that in conjunction <clears throat> with the fact that for some reason, um, we're just not very uh, drawn to pork eating lately for some reason. Um, we've just decided not to raise pork uh, that might change, but I, I'd be surprised if it did. So Nikki asked, 
Um, if I had to do it over again, homeschool the girls, what type of schooling would I have done? Um, we had done Oak Meadow initially, and then we moved to an unschooling model. And I was really, really happy with the unschooling model, actually. Uh, we still did a math curriculum. And for a while we did science, but even the science ended up going to unschooling. And um, yeah, she, um, Nikki, you mentioned here as well about sort of maybe that you had to sort of step up a little bit to organize the unschooling part of it. Um, for me, I just felt like I was continuously facilitating our daughter's curiosity. She just was so curious and she would read one book and that would bring up another question. And then we would go find people that were in that field or we'd go on field trips or, um, you know, she she always wanted to learn and I was always following her lead. Sometimes like, I remember like at one point she just, all she wanted to know about was rocks, like for so long that I thought, dear Lord, this child is going to know everything about a rock and nothing about... <laughs> you know, the important things. But um, yeah, it was a lot of retraining our brains too. But you know, when she did go to high school, she had a 98% average. So um, that curiosity remained. So I would just say, um, making sure that there's strong fundamentals, um, you know, with the reading and the comprehension and the mathematics and then seeing where their curiosity brings them, but making sure that you are facilitating that going to museums and, you know, getting books and, and really, um, and getting them to think about things and question things and have conversations with them about that sort of thing. Um, I found that all, um, I, I myself found it really fun too, actually. Uh, hope that helps. Um, Petra says, Petra says, um, um, what I think about food in terms of diet and if I eat homemade bread. Oh, I don't eat homemade bread, but, um, homemade bread, sourdough bread is so lovely but no we don't uh we haven't eaten grains in our family for 25 years holy man that's a long time uh you love making sourdough told um that sourdough creates leaky gut and it makes you sad that's not good and that vegetables have anti-nutrients yes well vegetables do have anti-nutrients and Maybe sourdough gives some people leaky gut and maybe some people are okay with it. And that's why I always just try and tell people, like, I mean, if you're eating that and you feel good and you don't have inflammation in your body and your brain is clear and you can move your body and there's no health or immunity issues going, then who is anyone to tell you not to eat a whole food, a traditional whole food? Um... Same thing with the vegetables. I always, I think though, a lot of times people do have sort of chronic low grade health issues and they don't recognize that it's from food or they don't want to or whatever. And so if you don't have any of those issues, why, who cares what other people say? If you do have like aching joints or 
you know, maybe some sort of chronic cough or I don't know, whatever, um, then you could start looking more closely at your diet and see if you need to remove that. Um, for us, we are all, I mean, if, if I want to make myself depressed, I just have to eat something with gluten and it doesn't matter if it's spelt or einkorn or anything. Um, it's, it's, um, yeah, no, nope, doesn't work for me. And for, we just all feel better not eating grains. And it's just been so long now that it's just nothing that I think of. But, um, you know, if it's working for you, who cares what other people say? That's what I say. Um, Daph said, um, why am I not a fan of solar energy? Um, <laughs> well... Um, it's the production of it. It's the, um, EMFs that solar gives off on houses. Um, it's the intense amount of the, the actual production of it. And then of course there's the big issue of the batteries. And so if, um, you know, we move, the house we live in right now is it's about 170 years old. And so for me to come into this house and um, disconnect from the electrical grid and then buy the panels that I would need and then the batteries that will last, what, 10 years or so, um, would be somewhere around 60000 dollars um and i have something that's not going to be sustainable either whereas if i'm in my house and i'm using this energy right now and then you know when the poo poo hits the fan um we lose the grid we're set up that we'll be fine in this house without having to ask more of the world to produce me solar panels so that I can live uh, like I have electricity for 10 years until the batteries die and there's no replacement batteries. Anyway, I could go on about that one for a while, but that's why we chose not to get solar. Um, any thoughts on homesteading in a hot, dry climate and not enough vegetation? I have no experience with that, but I would highly recommend Alan Savory. If you just look up, um, I think he even has some great YouTubes, Alan Savory, uh, where he had like desertified land that they brought back into really vibrant and vital uh, land using different types of grazing techniques. So I would recommend him. Um, Tanya asks, uh, what to focus on winter squashes and pumpkins for, um, food security. Um, yeah, well, I love winter squash. <laughs> so I think I'm growing this year. I think it's nine or 11 varieties. I can't remember, but it's a lot. Um, I just, I think winter squash is just fabulous it's my favorite thing to eat i it does well in my body we just had some with supper we had a kaboka squash with lamb for supper it's delicious 
Um, and yeah, so for the food security, I'd say, you know, you could pressure canned meat for sure. Um, and then your fruit, of course, and, um, fermented veggies. Um, I'm now at the point where I can like ferment veggies for, and have them stored for, uh, a year and they're still good. I don't know if you eat beans, but dried beans, dried peas, um, are another possibility and dehydrated mushrooms and other foraged sort of medicinals, herbs and stuff would be really awesome. Um, and then what would be my go-to herbal remedy to soothe the frazzled nervous system? <laughs> um, I really like reishi mushroom. Um, you can get it in tincture or you can just make, um, <clears throat> you can boil it for a while, simmer it, not boil it, and then just drink it as a tea. It's really nice. It's just sort of gentle and I, I really enjoy it. I mean, there's all the normal herbals, but I find that and flower essences actually are phenomenal. And I think flower essences, I know I've talked about this before and I know my daughter is a flower essence practitioner, but I am telling you, I have tried everything in the book and flower essences are the most powerful medicine for our emotional states by far. Um, I, I just don't think I could be without them anymore. And um, it really profoundly um, is changed um, my own sort of spiritual garden, if you want to call it that. Um, I would highly recommend looking into those. Uh, and then some other questions on biodynamic fertilizers, and I'll, I'll, I'll answer that too, um, uh, either on the comments page or, yeah, on the comments page. Um, Tia asks, the question is, what are one or two areas of focus for a newly minted homeowner with a little bit of land who wants to do all the homesteady things? <laughs> um, well, depends what homesteady things you want to do. I'm big on meat rabbits because you don't have to buy grain for them and they mature very early and you can feed them just from your land. Um, a small garden, of course, would be wonderful. And I'd say like, you know, as soon as you get there, plant a couple of um, berry bushes. If there's no berry bushes, plant a few berry bushes and um, a fruit tree because it's going to be a while for those to grow. And it's a nice thing to be able to plant as a sort of anointing. And, you know, introduce yourself to the land. Get out there with your bare feet and let the land know who you are and and um, get to know it and watch, just observe, you know, when the, how much water you get in certain parts and where the sun shines and where there's shade and what type of little critters are there. And congratulations, it's really exciting. Okay, Becky asks, what do you and hubby do for non-farm chore exercise and strength training? We lift weights. Yep. And um, my husband is more, uh, he takes his program yearly. So he divides it into a few months of 
mass training and then a few months and then he'll he shifts over probably in the next couple months I think he shifts over where he starts training for this competition he holds here every year it's a bowman competition so they compete in pairs him and a bunch of other crazy dudes and um they run around our farm property and they have bows on their backs and they're pulling sleds with all these weights in them and then carrying weights and then oh it's it's crazy and then they you know come to a station they got to do a bunch of chin-ups and then they got to shoot their bow at these targets there's like you know deer targets and a sasquatch and different things in the woods and so they're shaking and exhausted but they got to shoot their bow at these creatures and then if they miss then there's physical penalties as well and um Anyway, so he starts training for that at that time. And then when that's done, his training sort of shifts into a different phase. And for me, I, I change my workouts. I, um, I, but I, I don't train for those type of competition things. And I have found for myself now at my age that I, um, it's getting harder to hold muscle. My body seems to be shedding muscle a little quicker and that makes sense for my age but um so I actually it's been interesting I've been learning more about protein and protein needs and actually that my protein which has always been you know quite good um actually even needs to be higher now and I started uh I just started adding this adjunct thing that uh I belong to the healthy rebellion group on line and they just put up this um, program uh, designed by these two uh, really cool trainers and they do a lot of capsule training so that's sort of like your joints um, opening them up again as we get old and creaky so I've been doing that program and it's really cool actually I like it. And then the other thing I started adding, uh, well, my husband and I started adding is um, kin stretch. I don't know if you anyone's heard that. You guys should all look into it. It's um, just really mobility training for um, as we age. And uh, it's, it's really different, but it's very effective too. So yeah, we've been doing that too. It's worth a good laugh to see um, how 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 uh unflexible we've become for some reason but anyway it's kin stretch k-i-n stretch um sydney asks i'd love to hear more about how you handled eating out of your home with others over the years especially for your children um (laughs) so i'm not sure if you mean restaurants or people's houses so um that's a really that's an involved one because there's so many different variables and it would change my answer so we didn't really eat at restaurants we don't um if we did or do it would often be like high-end sushi or like a high-end restaurant that we would go to maybe twice a year once a year you know just um where we would pay uh too much uh, a huge amount of money (laughs) and um but it would be a good quality food 
Um, and then as far as going to other people's places, um, if that's what you're asking with the kids, um, or do you mean for the kids to be eating at other people's places? Um, you know what, Cindy, I was, Sydney, I was going to answer, um, your other question, um, in the comments and maybe just clarify that one for me in the comment too. And then I'll get, I'll, I'll answer it there. Um, yeah, just so I, I know exactly how you mean, because otherwise I can just give you a whole bunch of scenarios that might not even be relevant. Um, okay, thanks. Uh, Julianne asks, um, in your talks in the last year, you don't seem to talk about the meat rabbits. Um, do you not raise rabbits anymore? So um, last summer, we stopped raising meat rabbits just because of everything that was going on. And um, I was not happy with that last batch of rabbits we got. We had uh, a couple years before or no, a year before, I think, had taken a break from meat rabbits, and I had um, underestimated how lovely my breeding rabbits were. And I got some new breeding rabbits from a friend who knew someone, a neighbor, and they, I was not happy with them at all. Um, they had poor immune systems. Uh, I wasn't happy with the litters they were having. They're just, no, I didn't like, I just didn't, nothing was really working with them. I wasn't happy with their sizes. I wasn't, nothing worked. And so we, um, we just said, no, we're going to stop and we're going to start again. So um, we're going to start, I'll start raising them again this summer. I have a whole different idea for the whole hutch system. So we'll see how that goes. And um, as far as the beef, um, um, if I had, a, you asked if I had a choice between beef or rabbit. Oh, you, oh, you're saying you would choose beef every day. Yes, you too. Um, and I'm so glad you got sacred economics from your husband and I hope you enjoy it. It's a fantastic book. Um, Riley asks about deworming kids. Please, oh, please. <laughs> yeah, we, <coughs> excuse me. We, um, we do a parasite cleanse. We do do one because I live in the land of wormy creatures. And so, yeah, we do a parasite cleanse every spring. And you know what? I just make my own because I've used everything in the past and I think they're all bogus. And I had found this recipe a few years ago online with this different mix of herbs. And so um, I just make a gallon jug of the stuff and then I give it to every, to my kids and um, my husband and I take it too once a year. So I will put my pink highlighter here and then I will remember to post that recipe. It's just a mix of dried herbs and we take it for take it for 10 days and then wait for a week or two or something and then start taking it again um and then there's a bunch of other questions here that i can't get to but um um i i'll try and answer some of them and then maybe you can submit some at the next question when it fits into the theme of whatever i'm gonna come up with for next month but i just wanted to say 
that you had mentioned about the breeding for grass-fed genetics and better teat length. And then um, Riley mentions that their dairy cow has the little, I call them belly button teats, but I think she called them thimbles in the on the back too. And that um, it, it um, <laughs> and then... Um, she's just sort of wondering if that means that the cow's sort of going to have to be a goner because, but she, but she really enjoys the cow. So um, anyways, I wanted to say that is fixable, Riley. Um, we had to do it. We've done it. And um, it requires patience and it requires what you'll have to do is on those back two teats you're going to, if you know what it means to strip the cow so when you when you're milking a cow sometimes you strip them or you just slide your index and thumb sort of straight down and kind of just gently pull at the end um, just to make sure that they're all that milk is out sometimes they call that stripping if you don't know what that looks like you can just probably youtube it but i'm sure you do um so that's what you're going to do on those back two teats you're going um I mean, not to hurt them, obviously, I know you know that, but you're you're just going to pull down, straight down. And it, it will take a while, but we've had, uh, we had, a, I remember specifically this Canadian cow, Anya, <clears throat> who had that. And um, my husband has these giant paws, and she was the cow that he milked and he had to strip her back to teats. And it went through one whole lactation cycle, and then by the next time she had milk, she had pretty decent teats, actually. And then after that lactation cycle, um, yeah, she had, it, was, it was great. It was fine. So um, it's possible. You don't get rid of your cow. You can fix that. Um, and then I'll answer your other questions uh, on, on the uh, comment section. Um, Pam asks, looking at healing herbs for a non-traditional medicine cabinet. Pam, I don't know if you know of Stephen Booner's books. Um, Stephen Booner's B-U-H-N-E-R. He's written some fantastic books. And for everybody else um, that is looking for sort of books to have around um, so you can start stocking up your first aid kit, he has uh, two of them. One's called Herbal Antivirals. And the other one is called Herbal Antibiotics. I really like his book, Sacred Plant Medicine, as well. But the um, herbal antivirals and the herbal antibiotics are really good books to have and to help you to start stocking a first aid kit. Um, I think everybody should be doing that. And, you know, if everything turns around and there's no problems in this world, you're still not going to have lost out, right? Because you have these wonderful medicines available to you. Um, and then the second part of the question is, um, any insight or experience with healing chronic illness, um, that there are so many opinions, eat carbs, don't eat carbs, iodine, no iodine, fermented veggies, no cruciferous veggies, adaptogenic herbs, no astragalus, blah, 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 blah. Um, my experience on that. Um, my experience is that at the bottom of the question, 
um, PAMAS or somewhere to turn for info. I think that's the thing is that when we're constantly turning for info, we just keep getting all those opinions. There's for everything that someone tells you so definitively, there's someone standing there right behind them about to tell you the exact opposite thing so definitively. And I think that's an excellent reason as to why we should collect this information and don't take anything, not any of it as truth until we try it out on ourselves and then just decide for yourself. Um, and to be able to do that, and I, I write about this quite a bit too, and I've there's some essays on my Substack about this, is just really turning inwards to yourself and learning to start listening to your body because that's ultimately what we're supposed to be doing not listening to what other people are saying gather the information and then start challenging yourself with it and seeing how that feels and and trusting the messages that you're getting from yourself over what other people tell you is is right or wrong or whatever it, it's completely irrelevant if it doesn't work for you and they say it should then what does it even matter <laughs> so honestly I think that has been for me um, the biggest thing that I learned dealing with chronic illness absolutely um, things that I do to intentionally build and strengthen my marriage um, while it's different now because our kids have moved away and I guess when our kids were small though there was things that we did and I'm not sure where you are in your life but I think all these things could be applicable to different people but um, when our kids were small one of the things that we did is we really had to build structure into our days and our weeks so that um, you know, kids are really demanding and um, we would um, wake up together, even if <clears throat> when he was in the military and he had to be up and out the door by 5.30, we would build in, you know, 20 minutes um, before that so that we could sit down and see each other first or um, just to be able to have that quiet time together first to sort of set our intention for the day. And at night, you know, it was always the same. We would start reading a book at seven o'clock or brushing teeth at seven o'clock or whatever, read the book at 7.30. And the kids had, you know, I'm a big believer in kids getting enough sleep. And um, even when our kids were teenagers, it was the same thing. It was like, there's a bedtime, it's time you can go read or whatever, but that's the quiet time. That's the time to go up and <clears throat> go to sleep. And that always allowed us to be able to have that time together. So yeah, waking up together, going sleep, going to bed together, eating together. Um, those are just sort of like the habits and rituals. I know they're just really simple things, but, you know, and beyond that, um, we read together. Um, we read all sorts of books like spiritual books or marriage books, and then we'll stop and talk about things. Um, while we're doing that, I, um, try and notice things that he does, like just little things, you know, that he does and compliment him on it. And um, I think we're both 
100% honest with each other. Uh, we're very truthful with each other. And I think just not being too serious too, just being able to laugh, especially at yourself. And, you know, for me, I can laugh at my own neurotic tendencies and make fun of myself. And that kind of lightens up the mood too. Um, and um, just, I think, making sure that the other person knows that they're just the most important person in the world to you. And, and you do that not just through saying it, but by doing things for each other, for prioritizing, you know, them for just kindness, really kindness. And yeah. Um, okay. Emily asks, how are you doing right now? Uh, we're doing okay. We're doing okay. Um, thank you for asking. And thank you to everyone else for asking too. It's a, it's, um, you know, we're, we're learning and evolving and growing and, um, it's a different world that we found ourselves in. And, um, I think for those of you, most of you know that our youngest daughter died last May. And um, it's, uh, it's just a, yeah, something, it's probably something to maybe write about or talk about another time, but it's just a profoundly different world. And there's just so much astonishing um, love and beauty all mixed into anguish. It's it's um, barely, um, I, I don't think I would have been able to comprehend it um, before how you can feel the, to the absolute ends of the extremes of this completely polar opposite emotions at the same time. Um, but yeah, I, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll leave that there for now, but thank you so much for asking, uh, to all of you that did, um, what daily habit cultivates great joy in your everyday life? Definitely, definitely being in nature and that is every day and, um, grounding in nature too, just, um, in the winter, it's a bit harder, but um, the other day, the water was just rushing underneath the ice in this um, creek that we have here, and there's a big boulder that's beside it covered in moss, and I just lied down on the boulder on my back and looked up at the sky through the trees and listened to this water, and oh, it was just mesmerizing. It was so beautiful. And I just felt so insignificant and so small. And that always just makes me feel so peaceful because we always think our problems are the biggest things in the world. And <laughs> so ridiculous. Um, just, you know, when you feel small and insignificant, you realize how precious and how fleeting life is. And, um, I feel that way when I'm in nature, like I'm connected, but all of it is, none of it's going to look the same even tomorrow. 
So every day, every day I, I do something to be out in nature and I'm, I'm so blessed that we have this forest here that I can just walk outside to. Um, but even if not, I remember when my kids were small and we lived in the city, I would go sit in the park and just take my shoes off and put my feet in the grass and whatever. Um, what has been one of my greatest lessons in healing chronic illness? I kind of spoke to that just now. I was just learning to turn inwards and take the information that I had, but then believing my body and what it told me. Um, I'll try and get to your other questions in the comments there, Emily. Uh, so Kim asked, I'd love to hear what kind of healers you use. And more importantly, do you do all the recommended testing? Uh, my Lord, Kim, I have done the testing. I have done the testing. I don't do any testing right now. Nothing. Um, what kind of healers I use? I have used every type of healer. Every type of healer. Um, I've, holy Moses, I've tried all sorts of things. Um, I mentioned a little bit ago about flower essences. I think for emotions and emotional healing um, and um, sort of spiritual work, I cannot recommend flower essences and a flower essence, a skilled flower essence practitioner enough, just phenomenal. And I, um, I mean, I used to go for ozone therapy. I've used homeopaths. I've used naturopaths. I've used, um, oh boy, herbalists, um, all sorts of, uh, all sorts of alternative healers. And, um, you know, I feel like nobody had the answer and everybody had a piece of the answer. And it's just, it's like that. I just think that that I've come to the conclusion that that is life. There is nobody holding the, the key to all your woes, but if you can take you know, learn a couple things or maybe take a little piece of wisdom from everywhere you go. That's kind of more of what it, what it's all about. And, you know, maybe the homeopath won't be able to give you the answer, but they mention a book that they read and you read the book and that brings you to the next place. It's just about being forever curious and open and just following along all the little cookie crumbs that get dropped for you. Um, Alex, how do you handle writer's block? I stop writing and walk away and don't even think about it until it comes to me, even if it's a long time later. And also, would you ever write a book? I would, and I am. And, um, <clears throat> I, uh, I hope to have it done in sometime in my lifetime. No, I hope to have it done, um, you know, by next Christmas. And thank you so much for your beautiful compliment, Alex. Emily Rothrock, whose feathers are still sitting in a bag in my back seat because I promised her a year ago I would send them to her so she could make her arrows. And I will in this lifetime. Emily asks, observation tools, signs and symptoms of land versus herd size balance specific to ruminants. 
<clears throat> things to pay attention to in that process of learning your own unique balance specific to your land. Well, I would recommend starting small and then figuring out how long you want to let your land rest as you move the ruminants through it. So if you need to let your land rest, depending on how quick your growing season is and what the land looks like and all that sort of thing, if you want the land to rest for, let's say, 30 days before you return the animals to that pasture and it hasn't regrown and you're starting to notice that you're shortchanging the rest periods as you're rotationally grazing these animals through or moving them through to the next pasture and you start noticing that maybe the pastures don't get to grow as thick or maybe they're starting to see some like areas where it's getting a little bit trampled down or overgrazed um you know you've probably exceeded what you should be doing um there's no issue with the land telling you um but you know that when you're not when you're not seeing regrowth and you're starting to see um compaction or um the the soil drying up or it you know it just so is so dependent on where and what your land is composed of and what animals we're even talking about but um that's why i think it's better to start off small emily and then just see um, you know, if everything's going well, then add more. It's always so much easier to do it that way than to overgraze and start destroying things and then have to remedy all that after. Um, what was the first trade that we made with products from our farm endeavors? What service or product did you and Troy trade for what service or product? Um, <clears throat> okay, this happens all the time. And... I actually no longer think of it as trade because for me, trade, it's like I give you something, you give me something, but it's nice to just give something. And um, oftentimes what I've noticed like in rural economies is that you just give somebody something and um, how that comes back always comes back in different ways. So I can give you a few examples. So um, we used to breed large black pigs and um, we had um, um, a lot of large black pigs. And when we butchered them, I had way more back fat than I needed. But we had, you know, a neighbor that was a welder that fixed a trailer for us one time and uh fixed a, a guard around a water hydrant, built us a guard around a water hydrant and did different things. So, you know, I would, I cut up all the back fat, um, the extra back fat that I had for him and, um, brought it to him because he was a big hunter, but he was getting conventional pork fat and he was complaining he didn't like the taste of it. And so we just gave him all of our extra pork back that I had so much I could never use it all. I could have sold it, but um, yeah, I just preferred to do that. And so like who came out ahead there? I have no idea, you know, probably us, but um, you know, and then I, we had him over for dinner and then when he left, I had made him cause he's an older guy and he liked pie. So you know, I had made him pie and then sent him home with the rest of the pie. Or, you know, when you go somewhere, 
here to a neighbor's house, it's kind of rare to go empty handed. You know, you'll bring a jar of maple syrup or a jar of summer peaches or cream or, um, you know, maybe a pack or two of sausages. Um, the guy that came and does our, um, gravel for us and does excavator work and stuff. He came over and he needed a favor from my husband and, uh, he (laughs) just went into our deep freeze and put a whole bag full of like venison in there, uh, with a little note on it that I found a couple days later. So, you know, people will come and visit and they'll have like homemade soap or bag of herbal tea or some sort of spice that they made. And so there's always this, um, exchange going on. We had, I remember a couple years ago, we had a heifer that was, um, a first calf heifer and she was having trouble with her delivery. And it was a presentation I had not seen before. And so I drove down to our neighbor who's uh, been a lifelong dairy farmer and he came over here and he's just amazing. And, uh, he gave us a hand with that. And then, um, we, uh, the next week I, I brought him, uh, some of our meat and um some duck eggs because he said that he hadn't had duck eggs since he was a kid so yeah it's just that like you know it's not so much trade as it just is like and he wouldn't even have expected it in fact he was you know surprised that we would do that but um it's just a reciprocity and it just feels good it probably feels more good to give it than to take it but it's a it's really one of my favorite parts about the rural economy and it's the spirit of it really, you know, nobody, it's not an expectation. It's just the spirit of doing something for a neighbor because it's the right thing to do or because they want to do it. And it's, yeah, I find that really lovely. Um, So Amber Rose, I think we have two more questions here. Amber Rose asks, um, uh, part of the question says, my husband and I are ready to take the leap from city to country, more sustainable living, but don't really have any animal husbandry experience. I know you volunteered many times before your own words of wisdom or an attitude or posture we should embrace before jumping in. With the world tumbling quickly, how can we better tackle our lack of experience? Um, and then there's a second part to the question, but I'll answer that in the comments too, Amber. Um, I think the right perspective to have is um, just to have, um, to be open to find some mentors if you can, um, to, you know, you read whatever you can right now. And, um, get as many different variety of books. I, I used to go to the library. Um, but and this might sound a little bit odd, but like you're asking about the attitude or posture that you should embrace before jumping in. And I think that's just figuring out your values and how you want to do things. You know, when, we first got our farm everybody told me that I couldn't keep the calf with the cow and I was like no that's not how I'm doing it and so I started looking for ways that that could be possible and 
Um, I had different ideas of, you know, people would say, oh, you have to do this that way, or you have to do things this way. And um, I think those things are really important to hear. I think that other people's wisdom and experiences are beautiful gifts, but they're not, um, they're not sentences. You don't have to do things anybody else's way. Um, learn and be open and be humble and, um, you know, don't argue with people that have, <laughs> that, that have been doing things a certain way because it's worked for them too. Um, it's not a competition, but I think that really one of the, one of the biggest things you can do before you get involved with your farm is to just have an attitude of, of humility and of, reverence and of gratitude that you get to even be doing this and that you get to even um, take part in something that is just become rarefied in the world that we live in right now um I don't know maybe that's too esoteric but that's that's what I think um and then for tackling your lack of experience there's only one way to do that doing it, getting the experience. And you'll have lots of growing pains. And sometimes you'll think you're just batshit crazy for having started doing it at all. But um, everybody feels that way. And you just have to go on and um, earn it, earn your experience, you can do it. It's really just Know that you will be humbled and know that you're supposed to be humbled. It doesn't mean you're a failure. But you will fail a lot too and that's okay. I did. Everybody does. I still do. Every day I fail at something. I'll answer your other questions in the comments. Cassandra asks um, a couple questions and again I say the same thing to you about answering them. And, and then the one part of the question that I was going to get to, um, where Cassandra was explaining that she was at her great grandparents and they were talking about head cheese and someone had brought something, some over to her great grandfather and he said it was too soft that they poured vinegar on it when making it and when serving it. So the head cheese question was, do you add vinegar? What makes it soft? too much liquid. I'm fascinated with the gelatin liquid you mentioned. I'm always looking for ways to thicken sauces without flour. Can you freeze the extra liquid in little glass whack jars? So what Cassandra's referring to is that when I make head cheese, when anyone makes head cheese, the broth that's left over, and there'll be way more broth than what was used, is pure gelatin. I think if you like poured it in a bathtub, you could jump on it. It is thick, thick, thick. And I freeze that leftover gelatin in the freezer and I mark it gelatin and it does have flavor. So it's not like you could use it, you know, if you were making something for your kids with fruit or something like that. But, um, I add that gelatin to all sorts of things throughout the year like oh I'll, I'll, if I'm making soup I might add some extra gelatin if I'm um, 
making a sauce, I'll use the gelatin to thicken it up. Um, if I'm, I don't know, what else do I put that stuff in? Sometimes it's just an, an awesome extra flavoring or if like I'm making roulette later on, I might even take a few tablespoons of the gelatin just to thicken up, it up as well. Um, so yeah, I always usually have a few jars. So yes, you can absolutely freeze the extra liquid in the little glass WEC jars. I put it into um, 500 milliliter or 750 milliliter jars. And it doesn't matter as long as, as I've said before, the jar does not have shoulders, it, it won't crack in the freezer. And to your great grandpa's, wow, that's just so cool. I wish I could feed him some of my head cheese and listen for his critiques. I'd like want to get it perfect for him. Um, so yes, if he said it was too soft, I have had soft head cheese. So that's a couple things. One, it's possible if it's left out for too long that it gets a little soft. But it sounds to me like it could be that the liquid, that it wasn't cooked down or there was too much liquid. So the gelatin wasn't condensed enough, concentrated enough, sorry. Um, uh, they could have put too much liquid in, um, might not have cooked it long enough. I, to me, head cheese needs to be harder. And yes, of course you pour vinegar on it. And, um, I think I had a couple questions about writing out my, how I make homemade vinegar. And I will do that because homemade vinegar is a staple. It really is. And if, you guys aren't making it when you do you're gonna say how did I live without this um because I did uh so I make homemade vinegar throughout the summer and I make it from scratch so it's not you're not taking someone else's vinegar and adding flavoring to it which is lovely you're actually making homemade vinegar from scratch and the reason for this is it's full of good bacteria it's tasty, it's fantastic for your digestion, it makes wonderful herbal tinctures, and actually I'm going to try this year to move all of my herbal tinctures into a vinegar base, which is quite traditional, instead of an alcohol base. And I also make oxymels, which is half honey, half vinegar. Um, and it's um, a little bit of vinegar and a little bit of warm water before you eat is fantastic for your digestion. And um, as your great grandfather knows, a little vinegar on very rich, fatty, high gelatinous foods is phenomenal. You're, it's, it's like, I can't even, I don't know how people eat without a little sprinkle of vinegar. It just cuts through and it really does. I know I just said it twice, but it really does help with digestion. So, um, yes, we shall revisit the vinegar question. Um, I hope I answered that question properly, Cassandra. Okay. Oh, I haven't talked this much forever. So thank you if you're still here. I hope I answered the questions okay. 
My throat is scratchy because I talk too much. And like I said, I'm gonna go back on the comments, answer what I can, and then I might even just put in the comments, please ask this question again. But to all of you, um, you are more than welcome to please, um, you know, next month when I do it, I might just do one for farming or one for kids or one for marriage questions or whatever and see, um, like I said, that way, if it's something that you're more interested in, you can show, you can ask your questions then. Or if you're not really into that topic, you could just skip it. Um, all right, folks. I, I, again, thank you so much for your questions. I hope this was helpful. And um, I just want to thank you all again so much for your support. It's been just so rewarding to start this little adventure on this little corner of the internet and um, I truly am grateful for um, all of you being here with me and for for getting to know some of you as best we can through these airwaves okay have a great weekend bye-bye